but I wrote that one with my friend Taylor Hughes. Um, and she's become, you know, a good friend and one of my favorite co-writers around town. And I just, I had this line, I think I had read something and it was like black coffee and red wine or something. And mm-hmm. there was something about the imagery and the colors that I love wordplay. Yeah. Um, so I came up with the idea of red wine and white lies and I wanted it to be a cheating song. Um, so she came in, I think this was like our, our second song we'd written together. Um, and it just fit. It fit both of our vibes. It had this like Southern rock country sassiness to it, uh-huh. but also with that like real like 90s storytelling. Um, and so the song's just about like a woman just being fed all these white lies, like her husband's cheating and he's like, oh, I'm just going out with the guys or I'm on the phone with my mom. And she's <laughs> like, I know, I know none of this is true. Um, Midnight calls. His phone. Well, I know full well that he ain't talking to his mom, working overtime, or out late drinking with the guys. But there's lipstick on his neck. <laughs> That's her real nice Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living in the Limelight. I'm your host, Jay Huller. As a quick reminder, please follow us on Instagram at Living in the Limelight Show. And check out our website at livinginthelimelight.com. And of course, you can find our podcasts through all the major streaming services, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Check us out also on YouTube at Living in the Limelight Podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation with a different artist where we delve into what makes them tick, and sometimes we get pro tips on pursuing a career as an artist. If you are a performer or know someone who is, and would like to be considered for our show, check out the questionnaire at livinginthelimelight.com, and thanks so much for listening. With a classic sound, freckled face, and a full heart, rising country artist Crystal King brings a voice to Nashville that we have all missed. Originally from Hickory, North Carolina, Crystal has a fresh take on a true country sound, with raw and emotionally laced vocals and vivid songwriting. Her sound has been described as classy, folky, with a little bit of blues and soul. She pulls inspiration from 90s country artists such as Reba McIntyre, Alan Jackson, Dixie Chicks, Leanne Womack, and more. Other influences include Sugarland, Miranda Lambert, Eric Church, and Chris Stapleton. Crystal has performed on many iconic stages including the Bluebird Cafe, Tootsie's Orchid Lounge, and Tennessee Tech University. She tours nationally having visited Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Kentucky, Florida, Wisconsin, and Arizona in just the past year. Let's welcome Crystal to Living in the Limelight. Hello. Hello, this must be Crystal. This is. Fantastic. Welcome to Living in the Limelight. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So how's it going there today in Nashville? Going good, going good. Just, you know, working hard, the whole glamorous behind-the-scenes <laughs> computer work right now. As um, one artist put it recently, the admin side, is that what you would call it too? Yes, the admin side, lots of emails and set lists and all things. Yeah, that's the sort of the unwritten, um, I guess, unheard of heroism of what you guys do as, as independent artists kind of working your way up. Could, we could jump right into that because I, I don't know how many people really understand or know about that, but... Um, you have your time on stage where everyone sees you and we have the music that we love and listen to and the music videos, but what goes on behind the scenes? Like how much of it is it you having to plug into creating yourself? Honestly, I think that's the majority of it. Really? (laughs) You know, I do spend a lot of time on stage and we do, you know, the creating content and the um, songwriting and yes, that takes up a ton of time, but, um, yeah, like everybody else just gets to like go to work and then do their job, but we do like hours of work in order to get to do our job. Got you. So <laughs> if that makes sense. You does. know, we have to send hours of emails to book. You have to do your own marketing. You do you do a lot of stuff. You have to wear a lot of hats. Yeah. Do you look forward to, I mean, I don't know how it is and, and maybe you're learning how it is, but it, that ratio of you putting the time in behind the scenes, because I'm sure some of it's glamorous and some of it's not so glamorous, but um, do you look forward to the ratio of where you're kind of free of that a lot and you can focus on the performance itself and the creation of your art and letting 
that aspect sort of evolve with, with hands behind the scenes managing that for you? Would that be really nice? <laughs> yeah, that would, that would be really nice. Um, it would just be nice to have more time and energy to devote just to the creative process and kind of have that, that free brain space to do that. Um, mm-hmm. But I also, I kind of enjoy it. I enjoy being hands-on and I'm kind of a control freak. So I, I like to have my hands on every piece of everything. So, And I think that's huge for us as listeners too. At least it is for me. If I can envision my uh, my idols, the people I listen to and watch is like really just plugging in and going, you know, I think it should sound like this. I think it should look like this and not being uh, puppets on a string, so to speak. I think that's endearing actually. So I'm, I love that you love doing that because that means you, you know, you, you personally pour into your craft and what we hear and see is, is you, right? Yes, exactly. Fantastic. Well, I'd love to rewind and that was a great place to start, but let's go back to young, young, young crystal and kind of walk us through if you could um, where this all started for you, because it's the premise of this whole show is like what drives you and what, brings you to want to go and step up those stairs and get on that stage and share with everyone because I don't have that in me and I know a lot of people would much rather be in the seats or dancing along or whatever and be the recipients but you're a, a provider you, you give it to mm-hmm. us and I I've all, I just I'm so curious as to what drives people to be on that side of the equation so maybe um, if you could go back to like little crystal and tell us about that and move us forward I think we'll get some of that sense. Yeah, I think I do this parts in my bio, but I think probably little three-year-old Crystal. Um, I heard some Alan Jackson on the radio when my mom was scanning through stations, mm-hmm. and I was like, stop. And she like stopped on that song, and it was like, I was hooked. Like, that was what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be. I wanted to listen to country music nonstop. Um, and I just kind of decided that for myself, and I would been hours like playing my mom's toy guitar and like writing songs to my dog and <laughs> just you know singing and and all of that but I think you know I always said I wanted to be a country singer and um anytime I would watch like award shows mm-hmm. and would see some people on stage like sometimes I actually can't stand to watch award shows because I want to be up there so oh, bad. goodness interesting yeah <laughs> Like, like it's almost painful to watch because it like makes, like it does put a fire under my butt for sure because it makes me just like want to be there. That's good. Yeah, that'll drive that that urge. Yeah, I can watch further. an award show and then I have to like cut it off midway so I can go work because <laughs> I'm like I have I need to be working right now. That's really interesting. <laughs> it's kind of like an um uh, an author reading someone else's work and going, oh wait, that was good. Hold on a minute, and you go back to your notes and and drive some more. I love that. Well, yeah. I want to back you up to um, to Alan Jackson specifically, and maybe this will bring up something. But what do you think? And this is you were young, so maybe your your sense now. But what do you think at that moment when you said, "Mom, stop"? What was it about the the way the songs were, the way the message, the lyrics were touching you specifically? Like, like country music in general, why do you think that grabbed a hold of your heart? and has driven you all these years? Yeah, I think, especially initially, Alan Jackson, I'm sure the honky-tonk guitar um, Telecaster sound just really hit me. It was really kind of quirky and and unique and fun, Mm -hmm. um, but also just had really meaningful storytelling lyrics. Um, And I was also really, you know, pleasantly surprised when I got older to realize that Alan Jackson wrote a lot of his songs Mm. Um, which for, for a nineties artist wasn't as common. Um, so I think that's kind of a huge thing of why he's an idol as well. Yeah. That's, that's actually something I've appreciated about country music since being little me was the, the clear, um, if not in your face storytelling, like it, it paints a picture like nothing else because I think although the music is there, it, it seems to me that the lyrics are, are really driving the story because the story needs to be heard of whatever happened or will happen or whatever. And, uh, yeah. And so you heard yeah. that too. And you're like, I want to, I think I want to be involved in that. I want to try to make those yourself. Do you, when do you think besides like, um, listening to the music and 
and appreciating it, when do you think you turned into, I think I might try this? Do you remember the moments when, when you're like, like you said, picking up the guitar and really like, I, this might be something for me? So being a country singer is the only thing I ever remember wanting to be. Uh-huh. Um, so that was kind of from the get-go that I always said I wanted to do that. Um, and I always kind of kept in that that lane of, you know, taking guitar lessons, learning to write songs in middle school. Um, but I think it really hit home the most probably about like six years ago when I moved to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think before then it was always like, oh, this is what I want to do, but I didn't really know how to go in that direction. So mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I need to still get a degree. I still need to get a job. I need to do these basic steps. Um, and then about six years ago when I moved to Nashville is when I think it really became like real. I was like, no, this is what I'm doing. I'm diving full in this can be like a real career. It doesn't have to just be this lofty dream that I aspire to. This can be something I actually do. And that to me is of almost all things. And, and people do this in different walks of life with that, that big jump, like I'm going to go do this and, and the odds may be stacked against me or the people around me may not want this to happen or whatever, whatever. I feel it in my soul. And so, like you said, six years ago, you made the the jump was it for you scary at the beginning? Is it still a little scary? Is it daunting? Or are you, do you feel like you're now at this point you've settled in and you, you're like looking back at your, at six years ago going, Hey, good, good me. I'm glad I did. Are you thanking yourself for the, for the move? And where? where oh yeah. Yeah. Honestly, my only regret is like not doing it sooner. Oh. I think I spent a lot of time, a lot of time being like, Oh, whenever I get good enough or when I do this, and really just moving to Nashville and diving in kind of gave me the kick in the butt I needed to to just step up my game and get better and, and just do it. Um, and, you know, it's still scary, obviously. And there's still some days where I'm like, oh, my gosh, thinking about, like, the grind right now. And mm-hmm. is that ever going to kind of get easier? Um, but it's so rewarding, too. Like, I can't imagine doing anything else now. Um, whenever I was working the day job, I just remember thinking about like, well, maybe I should try this or try this and try this. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as I started doing music full time, I'm like, no, no, this is it. This is right. That's so nice to hear. And I I love the fact that you said you would have even pushed the timeline a little further into your youth because maybe this is a lesson for everyone who's listening, but it certainly would be for me to, if you feel something so strongly, um, would you advocate like just within reason, of course, just jump on it as soon as you've like, what, how far, how far back would you go? Like, would you go to 20 years old? Would you go to 18? When do you think if you could do it over again, would you have made that jump to go to Nashville? Yeah. I mean, I, I am glad that I did get a college degree, but I think I would have maybe dove into more of the singer songwriter artist community during that time um, and would have probably just taking it a different route and dove into the business and um, and that into things. I think I just would have pushed myself to just get more involved instead of being kind of like scared and kind of have the toe in thing. Got you. Yeah, just dipping your toe in the water, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because I see a lot of young kids, you know, the ones that they're getting on the, the shows and, and they're gigging around where I live. Um, who it's hard to say, you know, are you, how are you managing life? And that's another question I always like to ask is like, how, how is it to manage this passion? Like you have this burning passion to do this, but you have school, you have family and you have potentially you're working another job. Like you said, it, mm-hmm. how hard is that? Because like you, even you said, some of us, we have our job and we have our lives, but there's not a third thing unless it's a hobby. Right. But you, you, mm-hmm. This is not a hobby for you. This is full in. So um, at any point in time, have you noticed that like it's been really, really difficult for you to manage, but you it, give us some like tidbits on how to balance it all because that's the magic sauce. If you can stay sane through all of this and balance those elements, um, how do you how do learn? I'd love to learn from you how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's something I still, you know, occasionally struggle with or have to kind of reevaluate every few months, mm-hmm. um, you know, because every, every day looks so different for me. 
Um, so it's hard to sometimes set like a set schedule. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is just making sure I have time to breathe. If I have a lazy morning, that's okay. You know, allow, allow myself the hour to drink my coffee in the morning and just kind of stare out the window or watch TV. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, take some veg time to cuddle with my husband and my dog. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's always kind of a work in progress. I don't know for sure that I have the secret answer to balancing everything. Um, but I think it is important because burnout can happen so quickly. Um, but in our industry, you also kind of have to be the hardest working person you know. So yeah. trying to, to work as hard as possible, but within reason, making sure you're not neglecting like your family and your, your mental health. Yeah, I think that's so important is that is the me time just to take a second and when, and when the moments come to kind of enjoy those as much as possible. Um, that's, that to me would be the key advice right there is to not get pulled in, um, Mm -hmm. in in an overwhelming way, but still chase the dream. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had friends who, you know, they will say like, Oh, I have to do this right now. You know, cause somebody else is going to do it. And that's true. Mm -hmm. But like just prioritize, recognize like, okay, is, that one post, the stress of making that one post on Instagram, is that really going to like make or break you right now? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're already overwhelmed, take the time and some of those things will be okay. Sometimes I do too much and I have to, you know, sometimes just talk myself back a little bit. Yeah, I hear you. And I, I do, I do know a lot of people that get overwhelmed with the, uh, we'll call it the admin side that, you know, you, that post or that um, that that show you're going to be on or whatever, just to get the word out a little bit more. And when maybe inside you're willing to go, oh, I've got that new song, just hugging it in my heart, and I just want to get this down. And but it, it's all it's all part of the same picture, right? Mm-hmm. So cool. Um, in terms of support, um, how and and you could take this all the way back to when you were young too. Have you surrounded yourself or? Or have you had people natively just around you saying, Crystal, you can do this, like giving you a push, like coaching you and mentoring you? Or have you purposely reached out to kind of build your circle? Because I'm, I'm hearing that from a lot of artists I talk to. It's like it's, it's good to have like a core group of, of people that help you kind of keep going. How's that mm-hmm. been for you? Yeah, well, you know, starting out young, I mean, my, my parents, have always been like super supportive of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they still kind of have that logical side of like wanting, you know, make sure I can pay my bills, make sure I can manage my, my life. But um, they've always been super supportive. I don't have a musical family, but as far as it's just like support and coming out to my shows and listening to my music, like my aunts, uncles, sister, parents, all of them are, are fantastic. Um, and they support me as much as, as much as they can there. Um, and then, you know, starting out, I think I had a, a guitar teacher, Tony El Tora in Hickory, who kind of was like probably my main support as far as getting me out to start gigging and start writing songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now that I'm in Nashville, you know, your support system's always, always evolving. Um, but definitely having some good like girlfriends who are, kind of going through the same lifestyle. Um, Kirstie Krause, mm-hmm. I think you've spoken with her before. Yes. Um, we tour a lot together, but we're also good friends and we can vent or give each other advice on what we're going through with our music careers. Um, same with my friend Taylor Hughes. Um, and that one's cool too, because she's another artist that's about the same age and is married. So kind of having somebody to talk to about balancing everything with. Yeah. Um, that's really nice as well. So just kind of having a, a supportive group of, of girls who are going through similar day-to-day things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always super nice. And that's, that's definitely a community that's been, been building. Um, and sometimes it's slow to build, especially in the artist world because everybody has gigs all the time. Yes. Um, but definitely very valued. Yeah. And I think it was with Kirsty that I, I heard this for the first time, but, um, I was, I was surprised in maybe naive way, but that that network exists because to me as an outsider, originally I was like, well, it's gotta be cutthroat you know, okay, I'm going to get this and you're going to do that. And, and um, you know, we can hang out on the weekend or whatever, but you guys collaborate together 
you um, tour together, you're, you're friends off the stage and that, and that's important to you. Like that's helped become part of your network. And that, uh, I love the fact that that's, it's a, it's a camaraderie instead mm-hmm. of, a, instead of an adversary kind of thing. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're dispelling that myth. Maybe it was just me that thought it, but. <laughs> and I mean, that does exist, but I think especially in Nashville, as a general statement, people tend to be, be supportive. Sometimes you might have to like kind of prove yourself to them first, but people yeah. do tend to be supportive. And, you know, as I try to surround myself with supportive people, if you're, if you're cutthroat and not wanting to kind of help each other and boost each other up, then I'm, I'm good without that relationship. So, <laughs> yeah, I know that's, that's good advice. In fact, for someone kind of rising up is to, is to seek that out because you might be left alone on an island if you're cutthroat. Um, mm-hmm. You may get there, but you may get there in a different way and won't have um, all these wonderful people around you that, you know, are, are going through similar yeah. circumstances. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Well, let's delve into your music a little bit. I'm going to go um, back. Of course, on this episode, we have featured a brand new song we're going to talk about yes. in just a minute, but let's go back just before that. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit. Um, as much insight as you can give, because it, at least to me, and I hope for the listeners, it's fascinating to hear tidbits about the recording process, um, maybe a surprising thing that happened um, along the way, um, where the song originally came from, anything that comes to mind. But um, let's talk about 90 Proof. Yes. That one is always going to have you know a, a good place in my heart. Um, that one was a solo, right? I wrote that one by myself and I started it in North Carolina um, before I moved to Nashville. Um, So I was living in Charlotte and started writing that one. I joined the Nashville Songwriters Association in Charlotte and was, I was going to meetings there. Um, And the song is kind of about moving to Nashville. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was kind of cool because that song sort of followed me. And as I moved, I rewrote it and edited it several times um and then finally finally decided to record that one but that one was kind of a cool song but not only is it about moving to nashville but like the move nashville shaped song interesting so it was a two-way kind of street mm-hmm. that's neat i like how that evolved would you say that's kind of become your like maybe what helped you put your your feet on the ground when you got to Nashville, like announcing, Hey, I'm here. This is, uh, this represents me and, you know, check me out kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And those, you know, your first few releases, you're kind of getting your feet wet, figuring out like, how does this release process work? You know, what's successful, what's not, what's my sound. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that one was definitely a big, a big part of that. Okay. And during that time, this is a super important time for a lot of people. Let's pretend that I'm just like you and I heard an Alan Jackson song and I was kind of coming up and I was doing a little bit in middle school and then whatever. And I was your same age thinking of moving to Nashville. When, when you started that process, what would you do the same and what might you do differently to ease maybe the process for someone else? Since this is collaborative to, who, who wants to kind of move into your footsteps and, and, and get to Nashville and, and start to make their mark. Um, mm-hmm. What lessons did you learn along the way that you wouldn't do again? Like, Ooh, I don't think so. Or maybe it was all good because it, you know, it helped you evolve as a person. Yeah. Um, gosh, there's so many elements to moving to Nashville. Yes. All, all of them were, I think important for my journey and I, you know, tend to be one of those people that just didn't, I, I don't have a lot of like regrets. I think everything happens and that influences your story. So without those things happening, your story wouldn't be the same. Um, so I think one piece of advice would just be again, the balance thing. Um, don't be afraid to play cover songs. You know, Broadway's a, a great place to learn stage presence, learn songs, make some money. 
Um, but also don't put all your eggs in one basket. Like you're not going to get famous from playing Broadway. You um, probably won't get discovered at a writer's round. So make sure you're you're traveling and touring, getting your name out there, and not just relying on one one spot. I think it's probably one of the biggest pieces of advice that I have. Um, and also just build relationships. Um, even if somebody's not necessarily like your style, write with everybody that you get a chance to write with, because that's going to make you a better collaborator. Yeah, those are, those are really good. I like those travel and tour and build relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very nice. Awesome. Sorry, I've had coffee, so I'm probably in a rambly mood right now. <laughs> no, go <laughs> drink some more. Bring it on, because I'm sure some great stories will surface. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that song, 90 Proof, has been killing it on Spotify. I was noticing the huge number of streams you've had, so I wanted to start with that one. And then you've got, yeah, that you've, one's a bad one. You've got a collection um, of honky-tonk love songs. That was out in 2022, so not too long ago. Um, I don't know if you want to do... Um, individual songs within there or certain memories um and i'd love to also hear where you love to record are you more of like a home-based studio get it to kind of you know to a 90 percent point and you go in and do the finishing touches are you like i've got this idea let's see what comes out while i'm in the studio environment or how does it work for you as far as like the songwriting goes i like to have the song done before i go to the studio Mm -hmm. um and you know, mostly that's a financial thing. Yeah, we don't. I don't have the the finances to go into the studio and still be in that creative process. So I usually like to have the song written and a general arrangement of the song. Um, you know, this is where I want the solo. This is how long I want it to be. This is how long I want the intro to be. Yeah. Um, this is the tempo, and um, and then you kind of you can get more creative within those boundaries gotcha. in the studio um but all those songs 90 proof and that collection um i recorded with mike loudermilk okay and he played every instrument on there he used to play guitar for crystal gale um and he's just like the sweetest humblest man but so talented and um yeah he was just the perfect fit for those songs because i wanted that honky tonk sound um one of the songs rhinestone ring is actually about a, a wedding at a honky tonk, like getting married down on Broadway. Uh-huh. So of course it just has to have that, that true honky tonk sound. Um, and then just also you're the reason I drink. That one's the crowd favorite. I wrote that one 100% of the joke. Um, Cause <laughs> I would come home and my husband, like I would do something ridiculous and my husband would be sitting in this recliner and he'd be like, Crystal, Oh my gosh. Like, you, you know you're the reason I drink, right? <laughs> like, as he's, as he's drinking a beer. Uh-huh. And he said that, like, several times. And I finally just was like, you know what? I'm going to write a song. And did his joke, played it out a couple of times, just, like, picking on my husband. Yeah. And people loved it. So I was like, well, I guess it is relatable. It's, it's cheesy, but it's relatable. Um, so, yeah, that one that one still is one I, I play out all the time. Um but all of those are super meaningful to me. Um, my next project is relatively different and did in a totally different style of recording. Oh, um, can you give us any hints? But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, um, what kind of direction, without spoiling too much, might you, um, might you describe the next one? Yeah. So I did a little bit different of a studio process. I, um, recorded with a full band in studio. Okay. Um, and so we actually did it through a student recording studio it's called Dark Horse Institute. Um, and then I took those parts and hired a producer mixer to help me kind of piece those together. And then we would replace parts and I would reach out to different guitar players. Um, so I think there's, there's like five different guitar players on this project. Mm. Um, but I didn't really have a, a true producer to the album. Um, so it's been kind of this hodgepodge project, but it's turned out really cool. Um, as far as sound-wise, like there still is some of that true honky-tonk sound, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of mix of like um, blues rock and like folk influences as well. So kind of Eric Churchy, Stapleton vibes as well. Gotcha. Lainey Wilson. Yeah. 
That sounds interesting. And I love the, the concept. So basically when, when things were laid down, it was like a full recording of all instrumentation. And then you had the pieces to kind of go through and go, well, I like this, I like this. And we can, then you, you had basically the raw data, so to speak, that you could start mm-hmm. piecing together the parts of the songs that you liked. And- yeah. Yeah, which in the past, like with Mike, what we've done is he'll play parts and I'll tell him what I like. And then he'll just go and he'll make the track and then I'll come in and do my vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, as long as I approve the general vibe, he just does his thing. Um, and I did one other song at Larry Beard studio and that was kind of a live band, but I was just really up to the producer and their interpretation. And I just got to do like the thumbs up, thumbs down thing. <laughs> um, you where this one was like, I, I booked the band. I had a say in every single decision that happened musically. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was kind of really cool. I had zero clue of what I was doing and, <laughs> you know, had a mini panic attack in the middle. Cause I was like, why didn't I hire a producer? Like, what am I, what am I doing? Um, but it was really cool how, how those parts came together. And, um, and I think because of that, I, I got like a really unique sound. Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm looking forward to this so much. And your um and your perspective has grown too. I mean, think of the learnings you have done from the producer side of it by kind of <laughs> self-producing as a like Yeah, yeah. Like I hate calling myself a producer cuz I like don't feel like I was a producer and knew what I was doing, but I mean, I guess <laughs> I guess technically like I did. Yeah. Um, you know, with with some assistance from mixing engineers and and things. Um and the the instrumentalist, but it was it was really cool to be hands on throughout the entire process. That sounds like so much fun. All right, so um, <laughs> the single that's included with this podcast today is "Red Wine and White Lies." Yeah. So do you want to walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, I wrote that one. I think it was about two or three years ago. That this, this project has been about a two year project. Um, but I wrote that one with my friend Taylor Hughes. Um, and she's become, you know, a good friend and one of my favorite co-writers around town. And I just, I had this line, I think I had read something and it was like black coffee and red wine or something. And mm-hmm. there was something about the imagery and the colors and I love wordplay. Yeah. Um, so I came up with the idea of red wine and white lies and I wanted it to be a cheating song. Um, so she came in, I think this was like our, our second song we'd written together. Um, and it just fit. It fit both of our vibes. It had this like Southern rock country sassiness to it, uh-huh. but also with that like real like nineties storytelling. Um, and so the song's just about like a woman just being fed all these white lies. Like her husband's cheating and he's like, Oh, I'm just going out with the guys or I'm on the phone with my mom. And she's <laughs> like, I know, I know none of this is true. Um, and so she's kind of just sitting at home getting drunk on wine before she leaves. Mm-hmm. So she, she's pretty much like, okay, you can kiss my glass now. I'm, I'm gone. <laughs> and that's interesting too, because white lies, people go, oh, it's just a white lie. You know, it's just something. But like everything in life, a little bit in accumulation can be a lot, right? Oh, right. So this yeah. is an accumulation I'm seeing. I'm, I'm, you're, the storytelling that you're using just to describe the song is incredible. And so I'm, I'm walking the whole imagery through my head and I'm like, you know, that's the straw that broke the camel's back because that was just the last <laughs> one and she's just uh, ready to go. Wow. Ready to go, yeah. That is fabulous. Well, I'm sure that people are going to enjoy that. Um, the full version of that song will be on the back end. So please be sure to listen to the end of the podcast because you'll hear the, the whole song and not just the teaser that I gave you guys at the beginning. Yes. Nice. So let's talk about performing live because as you mentioned earlier, it's um it's kind of the end to means, I guess. You have to have music unless you're doing covers. Um and you, you have to practice. You've got to get either a full band or, you know, you and a guitar. There's there are elements that happen before you just pop up on stage. There's gotta be an agreement. <laughs> there has to be a place to play. Um but once you're there and you're doing your thing, can you describe what that feeling is like because for some of us me included it's a terrifying thing like I, I some of us definitely don't want to be on the stage we don't want everyone looking at us we 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 don't have we don't feel 
we have something to share like that, but you, Mm -hmm. you clearly do. And I, I would love to hear your, your paint that picture for us. So you're now on the stage, any stage you can pick it and please tell us like what kind of stages you like. Do you like the big venues or the small intimate ones? But what is that essence? What's that secret sauce when you're up there? What does it really feel like? Oh goodness. Well, and I think it's, it's nice that you kind of said the fear thing. Um, and I think even artists deal with that. Like, I think whenever I get on stage, it's sort of this mix between like just pure excitement and fear. Like they kind of go hand in hand, if that makes sense. Uh Um, so like the, the scariness of it is also what makes it so exciting. Um, and I think one of my favorite things is interacting with audiences. Okay. Um, I like I like a lot of smaller performances because I like the intimacy of being able to just like shout out and talk to somebody, some ghost <laughs> mo, and like table three, uh-huh. um, and and interact with them. And I I love being able to do that. Um, I do enjoy you know full band performances and big stages, and those are also super exciting. Um, and you know that's something I'm growing more and more comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the past or more recently I've done a lot of acoustic solo stuff um, and so like medium stages mm-hmm. and and I, I do love that though because I think there is just like a level of intimacy that you have with the audience that you kind of lose some whenever you're just performing. Yeah. You can really like tell the story or pull them in on the interaction. Gotcha. Yeah, I've heard that before where sometimes the bigger venues that the lights is it's all on you and everyone else is darkened out and it's just <laughs> it's you and the lights and and in your craft and and there is yeah. a moment of like austere like oh wow this is amazing it's a you're you're set back from it a little bit but um I can totally appreciate the you know the warmth of of a mm-hmm. of a small venue too. So would that be for you like if you could use a crystal ball? <laughs> oh, look what I did. <laughs> Use the crystal ball and then um, paint your future, but be monetarily compensated. Let's let's take the equivalent of playing the venues of like the huge stages where the the revenue is happening and the stability is happening. But would you say you'd prefer like definitely a majority of your gigs on a tour being just smaller venues, although you'd be a a higher compensated artist because you know that that's the thing is to provide lifetime stability and and to not have all those worries would you purposely i guess my question is would you purposely choose um smaller places to get closer to feel that connection still yeah um and i think that's something i'm still i'm still figuring out i think the crystal ball is to go as far as you know, humanly possible, mm-hmm. um, you know, would love to be able to play the award shows and do all the big stages, do the Opry, the Ryman. Yeah. Um, you know, I want, I want to go as far as I, I possibly can. Um, but I think I will always want to still have some connection with audience and fans and not be too removed from that. Yeah. Um, so I think I could also be very happy playing more medium sized shows because, you know, it's, it's not about like the fame. It's about loving what I, what I do. Um, and so if you're doing it for the love of what you do, I think as long as I'm getting to play and I'm getting to keep myself as an artist, that's authentic. Then that's, that's the goal. Um, I would definitely rather play smaller to medium venues and have be playing music that's meaningful to me. Um, then, like having to play sold out stadiums and like shake my butt on stage and sing songs <laughs> that like I don't like. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, the art will always come, come first in that regard. That is 1000% refreshing. Um, and I don't know if my perspective is unique on this, but um, the, the, the consensus, at least when I was younger, before I learned about music was like, Oh, well, okay. They've made it. They're playing, like you said, the Opry or they're playing a, 50,000 seat, um, Mm -hmm. you know, arena. That's it. They've done it. But the, the fulfillment for you is really, and for many artists I'm hearing is not just that it's the, it's that your, your music is, is being visually appreciated by people and they're giving back to you. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and I talked to to Kirsty the other day about her thirsties, and that's just uh, to me that's the essence of like the connection between, um, you know, artists and and the and the audience and that back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and and in a, in a smaller venue or a medium venue, you get that still, and I think that's mm-hmm. fantastic. What is it like for you to um to take a song from the from the birth of it, like you said, you were playing around with the imagery of, um, of, of the red wine and, and, and the coffee and whatever. And, and now it has become a song. What is it like to see that emerge one as a, as a full fledged song and then music video and then on stage and different versions? Is it overwhelming in a sense? you like, do you step back and sometimes go, Whoa, I remember when I sat down and that song was just, bur- you know, getting born or is it, um, has it become like kind of a usual thing for you or is it overwhelming every time? Is it surprising every time or is it, is it magical? I guess is my question. I, I would say it's magical every time, especially when you get the song, like whenever it really like reaches the vision of what you had for it mm-hmm. or sometimes the vision that you didn't even know you had for it, but it just turns out that way. And you're like, Oh, this, this is it though. This is perfect. Um, that's a really cool feeling, um, to be like, okay, I, like I started this, I, I created this, it was nothing. And now there's this, this full, full element. And I have, you know, my crowd interaction version. I have my recorded version. I have the extended solo version <laughs> where I got to be really artsy. Um, so that's, that's a really cool process. And, and sometimes like the process surprises you, like there's some songs that you, that I I didn't think I would like release or I didn't think would be that great. But then when they were fully produced, I was like, Oh, there's, there it is. Um, and then huh. there's kind of been the opposite. There's some songs that I love acoustic, but then when they've been recorded, I've been like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. They kind of lost some of it. It's luster in that. So it's, it's crazy how much the production can influence that as well. Oh yeah. And, and that's on a fan side too, because, um, I can tell you I've heard, you know, live versions of certain songs versus the recorded one or an acoustic, whatever. They are all super different. We can hear you guys as as artists inside there, but um, it's a it's a completely different experience, and mm-hmm. that's really yeah. I like that um, you can appreciate the evolution um, of from the beginning to to where it goes. Are you a hands on person for music videos? Um, do you like? get involved with like uh, wardrobe needs to look like this and, or is it, do you like to just focus mainly on the message of the music? Um, I would say I'm pretty hands on on about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only done one YouTube video and, um, so that was kind of a learning process for all of us. So I, I think <laughs> I'll figure that out a little bit more as I do more. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's just in my nature to want to be involved in all of it. Um, so I, I think that'll, that will definitely continue. Um, I will definitely take direction from the experts as far as <laughs> camera angles and the way my face needs to look. Cause you know, sometimes it looks one way in my head and then I see the picture and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> that is not what I thought my face looked like. <laughs> so I will gladly take direction, um, from the pros there, but I always, always want my say so. Yeah, that's funny you should mention that because, um, and I think that's true for almost it's any sport or whatever, is what do we really look like when we're doing what we're <laughs> doing? And that does see it back. You certainly don't have a mirror in front of you when you're on stage, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I mean, that's, I mean, we were talk- joking about like, oh, I don't want to be up there booty shaking, but like, honestly, like, I can't dance, like, and I'm well aware <laughs> that I look like an idiot trying to dance or do more than just my usual like sway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm just going to stay to my authentic self and, and not try to do that. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's go there. Let's go ahead and go there. Let's say the producer is all about getting you to booty shake or getting you to do whatever. <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, I wasn't planning on this. How much, <laughs> how much crystal King stands there and goes, uh, uh-uh, it's not happening. Or are you, are you willing to stretch your own, boundaries because I think you'll uh, appreciate I and I maybe this isn't true for everyone but you can learn right you can learn almost anything 
maybe not on the oh, set right. of a music video at the moment when they <laughs> say you're going to do this. And I'm like, well, I've never done that before. But you know, if would you would you allow that to happen if the, if the producer was like, I really think you should, or would are you going to stick to your like how you really feel? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it depends on the situation and what it is. If okay. it's actually booty shaking, I'm probably <laughs> going to be like, nah. Um, but I think for the general sake of argument, um, I think that you're always able to grow and and become better. Like I'm, I'm still certain moments on stage. I'm like, oh, that looked awkward. Whatever I just did there, you're always able to grow and kind of stretch your comfort zone, and that I do believe in. Um, but I think it also has to be like, is this fitting for the art? Like, is this something that I'm stretching my comfort zone and, and expanding my horizon for the song and is it elevating the song and elevating my brand or is it just trying to like sell records with like a pretty face? Gotcha. So I think, I think it depends on if it's something that's out of your comfort zone, but for the sake of the art and is going to be a good stretch and it's not sacrificing like who you are and what you're, what you stand for. Yeah. And that's the decision that you get to make right there in the moment is, you know, mm-hmm. and how far. So I love that advice because. But I, I don't have a booty to shake. So that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> well, not physically possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, some of us, we have the things that we know we can do and that we know we can't. And that's just the way we're wired. And I, I'm of the no dancing crowd too, actually. So if someone <laughs> asked me to do that. I would be like, um, Where's the exit? <laughs> like chicken dance all day. That's my go-to. Oh yeah, and that's but. that's plenty entertaining, right? How much more entertainment <laughs> do you need? <laughs> well, cool. Um, what about gear? Some people um like. Do you have a, a certain brand guitar you like, or microphone that you just can't live without, or um things that you've used maybe along the way that you have just um you know just had to have, or just hey, there's a guitar over there. I'm gonna pick it up and use it, and you don't really care too much or um or you have your like your stuff are you a stuff person um i'm a cheap person okay <laughs> um <laughs> so you know starving starving artist starving artist so, got you um <laughs> so yeah so i'm not always like the gear buff of somebody who needs top everything um as long as it sounds decent and is functional mm-hmm. that's usually my motto um i do have a Taylor guitar and that is my, my oh. go-to. Um, it's a, a 314 CE. So kind of just their, kind of their standard one. Um, and I love it. I've had this guitar for like, gosh, 12 years now. Oh, wow. Um, that's a long time. Yeah. It's a, wow. That's crazy. I got it in college. So man, I'm getting old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to put it that way. I meant the longevity <laughs> of the guitar. <laughs> I know, I know. But yeah, so I've had that one and that's, you know, honestly, this was my first like big girl guitar is what I call it. Cause yeah. I had a little Ibanez without a pickup. Um, that was like a three quarter size. Mm-hmm. And this was like my first like professional sounding guitar, you know, one I could actually take it to a gig and plug up and not be worried if it was going <laughs> to work or not. Right. Um, but yeah, so this one, the Taylor's been my baby. Okay. So if Taylor came to you tomorrow, and they're like, well, you know what? You have used that guitar so lovingly. Here's another one. You you would be like, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just putting that out there to, to Taylor Guitars <laughs> in case they're listening. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell me. I know, um, I know a lot of artists that appreciate their guitars. And uh, that's a, I guess that's a sideline question. So you go to these... Um, co-writes and you're you're on stage and you're on tour with tour with other musicians and they leave their instruments around have you picked up another instrument that you're like oh this would be interesting to have in you know at my house to play with or has there's been a, a certain kind of it could be a guitar i don't know if you play a little piano or whatever but another instrument that has like sparked your interest but is not part of your your arsenal yet so, oh man, it's so hard. I, I'm one of those people that like, I want to do way more things than I actually have the time to do. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so currently I'm, I'm in my music room right now. Um, and I have on the wall a banjo, a fiddle and a mandolin. Oh. <laughs> I don't play any of those. 
<laughs> well, but they're but there I waiting really, for you. They're there waiting for me. I've really always wanted to play the fiddle. Um, so that is definitely one. And uh, my husband, he's a, a band, a middle school band director, and he's an orchestra director as well. But he's oh. newer to the strings, um, but he got me a little cheap violin and, you know, a little book. So I'm going to hopefully sit down and start start learning on it. I have a, a hack for you on that that my my, oh, okay. my wife always reminds me of. She's like, "Go to YouTube," and I'm like, "Well, but YouTube is YouTube," and I'm like, "No, there is every <laughs> tutorial under the sun under uh, at YouTube," and and she's right. If you just do a little bit of digging and go like, yep. to the very beginning, like beginning fiddle, they will you know tuning it up how to hold the bow, all that stuff. They'll walk you through the entire thing. And so I'm like, now there's hardly any excuse to not do it, except for time, which is the big right. negotiator, right? I know time is, is huge for you. Yeah. But, um, and this isn't necessarily an instrument, but another one that I want to learn, I want to learn to yodel. Okay, so I can connect you with someone who knows how to yodel very well. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh I know somebody. That is somebody. Let's connect on that. Yes, absolutely. I'll get you that offline. <laughs> send you her information because uh, it is Perfect. oh my goodness yeah talk about a vocal activity that is um stretching your your chords and stretching your limits and teaching you ups and downs and all that mm-hmm. oh my goodness it's, well i did some voice flips and i've had a few gigs where people uh, people stopped and been like hey can you yodel <laughs> like you seem like you would know how to yodel and i was like i actually i actually don't but it's happened on more than one occasion that somebody has said that to me so i'm like maybe that would be a really cool party trick <laughs> or or more <laughs> or more yeah had a little yodel solo into one of your uh, upcoming releases yeah right now i the only thing cool i could do is like say the alphabet backwards but like yodeling that's another step up tell you about it yeah <laughs> you'll be the life <laughs> of the party without a doubt so cool all right so currently for you um, do we have a tour plan in the works or are you just kind of, like you said, you're working the admin to kind of lay some plans out What and what would be, um, something you'd want to do, um, live music wise and touring wise for you? Yeah. So I am currently just touring as much as possible. Um, coming to Nashville is my home base, but going back home to North Carolina for shows, um, Kirsty has taken me to her home, home state in Wisconsin. Mm, um, okay. Me and Kirstie also um, go to Florida a lot. And, um, yeah, so I think also on the docket, Virginia, Kentucky. I've already been to Arizona this year. So just touring as, as much as possible. And, and part of it's still in, in the works. Yeah. Um, and I, I know I just have a few festivals coming up. I have um, the Foothill Spook Art Festival in May in my hometown. And the Hickory Oktoberfest on their main stage in my hometown. So there's some some bigger events coming up as well. Nice. That sounds good. Yeah, and and that's I guess that's part of the balance, right? I mean, theoretically, um, and this would be for the, the the artists coming up that just are barely learning this information. But is it theoretically possible um, the go getters, the ones who abandon everything, that you could fill your schedule every night? of every day of the year with some sort of gig. I guess that's theoretically possible because venues are looking for performers, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. But to curtail it back and plan the balance part of your life, that's that's what keeps you sane. Right, right. Okay. So that's, so a- that's definitely something, you know, I've had to work on because I've, I've been like, oh, I need to book all these shows. And then I'm like, oh, I need to book this. I need to book some rights. And then before you know it, like you look at your schedule and you're like, oh man, <laughs> I have a rights day, a three hour show, an interview. And then I, I didn't leave myself any time to do like the other admin work, the, the emails, just having some uh, some time with my family. So you, you do have to be really careful about that. Yeah. Much less even just like you said a while ago is, is bio needs, you know, just to have a coffee mm-hmm. for a minute or an hour just to catch up on news or to talk with people. Um, that's mm-hmm. so important. Yeah. Oh, very. Well, that's great. Um, I would love to know how people can easily 
find you. I know how to easily find you. <laughs> but how how would you like for people to reach out? Are you like, do you get on social media and, and really interact with them purposely, natively, you want to? Are you a little more laid back with it? Um, where would you like the number one place for people to go to start connecting with you? Um, aside from like, they can dial you up on Spotify or Apple Music and whatever. That's that's easy way, mm-hmm. but like in a more of a personal way to like send you a comment, um, or mm-hmm. or whatever. Where where's your go to place to interact with your fans? So I would say Facebook and Instagram are my my two most used social media platforms. Um, and then also you can submit a contact on my website or, or directly email me. Um, but most of the handles for all of that is Crystal King Music. The website is crystalkingmusic.com, Instagram, Crystal King Music. And just remember, Crystal is spelled with a K, mm-hmm. like the burgers. <laughs> like the burgers, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> Very cool. And um, I guess for for advice for younger people, this came to my mind just now, but would you recommend if somebody is really trying to go for it to kind of tack down all of those um, avenues early on so that if, if available, like um, Crystal King is a very unique name, but it's, you know, I, I, did you have to kind of manipulate things to get that? Or would you advise people, hey, you know, it, it's okay. You'll be able to get what you need. You'll have your website and you'll have all that stuff and not be too crazy about it. You know what I'm Sorry, saying? you can hear my dog shaking in the background. <laughs> I did hear that. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just actually happened to, to get that, but I do know some names can be harder to find. Um, so yeah, I, I guess as soon as you possibly can, um, if you know if, that you're going to go by a certain name as an artist, yeah. um, like, you know, as soon, the sooner the better to start building your, your social platforms and, and like owning those names mm-hmm. and having the rights for, for those sites. Um, I got lucky and married a king. So um, my my maiden name was Hessinger, Crystal Hessinger, and king is probably more common, but definitely flows off the tongue better. <laughs> oh, it, it's a very powerful combination. I, I love yeah. that the double K there and and king. It's got such strength with it. So <laughs> bravo for that. <laughs> it worked out well. I always tell people I married him for his last name. Yeah, well, I'm sure there's probably one or two other things. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Crystal, it's super great to meet you, and um, I loved having this conversation, and I'm, I can't wait for people to appreciate this this new drop that we've got going. And um, you're you're a you're a treasure to the music industry. You're you're righteous, and you're doing it for the right reasons. And oh, I appreciate I, that. Yeah, I just uh, can't wait to see what's next for you. And anytime you want to come back. Uh, fill us in on, on new developments please look me up again all right wonderful thank you so much for having me this is a blast you're quite welcome all right we'll talk to you soon all right have a great day you too bye bye It's a quarter past eight I guess he's coming home late And if he can't call then I can't Bother saving him a plate Third time this week He must think that I'm naive And I can't wait to hear what excuse He's gonna try to feed me Pop the cork and pour me a glass Lord knows this bottle ain't gonna last Red wine and wine Always go Whether it's sweet or bone dry Either one will drown that alibi So I'm raising my cup And getting drunk tonight On red wine and white lines Get midnight calls Hiding his phone Well I know full well that he ain't 
talking to his mom, working overtime, or out late drinking with the guys. But there's lipstick on his neck, that's a real nice guy. For every lie, I pour a glass or two, another night of getting trashed on Tip it back Baby, you can't kiss my flesh